Welcome to Close the Door and Come Here, a Game of Thrones and a Song of Ice and Fire podcast with heavy leanings towards our two favorite characters, Jamie and Brienne. Well, there was a bear bear, all black and brown and covered in hair. Hi, I'm Lot, Lady of Tarth, hyphen post on Tumblr. I'm joined with Guile. Hi, I'm Guile, Guile and Subterfuge on Tumblr. YD. Hi, this is YD. You can find me at Yellow Delaney on Tumblr. Chicky. Hi, I am Chicky, Chickren on Tumblr. And our first time guest, Daphne. Yeah, hi, I'm Daphne, and you can find me at Sickest Kids on Tumblr. Yay, welcome! Awesome! Hey! Fresh meat. I was saying that. I was that excited every time. That, that we're doing the episode <laughs> that our, our theme song is from. This is kind of cool. The best. <laughs> Isn't it? Yeah, it's kind of cool. Oh, speaking of, it is Game of Thrones Season 3, Episode 3, Walk of Punishment. Um, and just so you know, spoilers all for everything, show, books, and potential for rape discussion. Actually, there will be rape discussion. <laughs> I don't even say potential. Uh, yes. <sighs> yep. <sighs> okay. Um, so the opening of this episode starts with the funeral of Hoster Tully um, and his son Edmure, failing three times at lighting the boat as it drifts down the river. Um, good thing the blackfish knows what he's doing because he gets the boat lit with one shot. Um, in the next scene, Edmure is pretty proud of the mill he won from the hound. Blackfish and Rob, not so much. Edmure points out he has two Lannister hostages and Rob's all like worthless Lannisters and he loses his cool on Edmure a little bit. I always like oh, this scene. I mean, it, this is such a cool scene, it right? Is. I mean, like, especially the beginning with Blackfish. It's the best Blackfish intro you could ask for. Yeah. <laughs> it's like instant badass. Like, yeah, but the I, problem is, I am such a huge Edmure Tully fan and, like, I kind of hate what the show did with Edmure. Like, they really made He's him a bit like, twice as stupid as the books. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, it's funny. I was actually thinking the exact same thing when I was watching it. Because, you know, that initial scene that we get with Edmure missing his mark, like, it's it does happen in the books, but it doesn't happen exactly the way that happens in the show. It um, In the book, they've got the blackfish kind of offering to help him. Um, they're kind of explaining that it's because Edmure is grieving and, you know, he's not the only one that missed his mark at, you know, their parents' funeral and whatnot. But here it's kind of like, you know, making him look entirely comical, I guess, which is the what they were aiming for. doesn't help so, either. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I've got to say, like, I love, love, love Clive Russell as a blackfish. I also love Tobias Menzies, who plays Edmure, although I've got to say, after watching Outlander, I kind of have this visceral reaction of disgust every time I see him on the screen. I'm just like, nope. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't know. I who- just feel like, I mean, that's not easy to hit a moving target as it's crossing the, crossing the corner of the river with the wind blowing. Like, I mean, that's kind of hard. Like, cut the man a break. Yeah, and then, man. <laughs> can we, can we talk about the discussion with Rob yet? Yeah. Yeah, if you want Okay, to. so first of all, Rob looks super hot. I'm just going to throw that out yeah. there. <laughs> like, peak Rob. I don't think and they're going to find any. Does it look like he's about to sneeze or something at the end when he, when he screams? To, yeah, he's he's screaming, but I we need our men more than time we need yeah. this. And then he's got this like it looks like he's about to sneeze. Maybe he was. 
Oh, now that's all I'm going to be able to think about I each time I watch the scene. <laughs> but I've always kind of thought the criticism of Edmure in this, in the books and in the show, is so unfair. It's basically, Edmure, you should have known exactly what you were thinking, even though we didn't bother to tell you, and you've yeah. ruined everything. Well, yeah. just tell him the frickin' plan. That's it's a good like point. kind of like Liana and Rhaegar. Like, leave a note. It'd be <laughs> nice. It's this yeah. poor communication. So... A lot of the criticism of Edmure is, um, stop being such a humanitarian Edmure. And it's just like, wait a minute, he wants to save his fucking people. Like, that is not a bad thing, you jackasses. But, of course, in no. Westeros, in, like, war the way that they do it, it is. But it's like, Edmure's actually, I think, a pretty cool guy. Um, oh, I mean, yeah. it, Jamie like trades on his humanity. I mean, you know, that's... The fact that Edmure's a decent human being is what allows that siege to, yeah. to be overrunning off. Yeah. yeah, I mean, even Cat like, berates him for, like, taking in useless mouths and stuff, and it's like, he's trying to save people's lives, God. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I don't know. I, uh, I'm gonna keep my mouth shut on that one. <laughs> uh, I know you kill me a lot. <laughs> I, okay, I was just gonna say though, Catelyn's got a good point there. <laughs> it is, uh, she's thinking long term. Uh, I don't think it is a good idea to bring in a bunch of useless spells. Oh god! <laughs> this is why I don't want to say anything. <laughs> oh, there goes, there goes me and my black, black heart again. Um, speaking of black, oh, <laughs> nice segue. I have to say, I really love the costuming on Blackfish. Like, I. Oh, so good. I couldn't take my eyes off it. The fish scale, the Blackfish scales, is beautifully yeah. done. Yeah. Yeah, and they've got, um, like, the trout inlaid on it, which looks amazing. I thought, yeah, all the fish everywhere. They had the, in the first scene, the fish statues. I thought it was Those just... fish statues scare the hell out of me. I love <laughs> them. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, they're quite big, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was. I just thought it was really good set design all around, it's and totally you know, right. as always, the attention to detail for these things is really incredible. Yeah, I appreciate that kind of artistry in the, the scene. Okay, are we ready to move on to the next? Go for it. Okay, King's Landing. Um, we have Tywin. He's taking his seat at the small council table, and the rest of the council sit according to pecking order. Cersei moves her chair to sit at her father's right-hand side. Tyrion comes in and then drags his chair rather loudly to the other end, and uh, he compliments Tywin on the new digs. Um, Tywin immediately asks for news about Jamie. He's displeased that Varys and Littlefinger's spies have turned up nothing. Um, well, have turned up late information. Tywin also instructs Baelish to go to the Vale to bring Lysa on their side. Tyrion points out letting Littlefinger go now might not be the best idea, as the royal wedding is just around the corner. And Tywin agrees, then makes Tyrion master of coin. So how great is the start of this scene, which is basically oh, just power play oh. in the form of musical chairs? Like, how can a scene that has people not talking and just moving chairs around for about two minutes be so engaging? <laughs> and it's two scenes, like, because just both of these scenes were like that, right? Like, with the, the funeral scene and with this scene, it was no dialogue. Like, it was so beautifully yeah. acted. In in the commentary, David and Dan, uh, they're, they're the directors of this episode, so they were the ones doing the commentary. They were talking about how the first, I don't know, um, 10 or so minutes of this episode doesn't have a huge amount of dialogue, and they're right. And yeah, it works. It works really well. Yeah. Well, this I mean, I enjoy is. watching this scene just to watch, com- like, 
just to solely watch Conleth Hill, who's Varys' reactions during the scene. <laughs> oh, yeah. It is hysterical. Are His good. reactions to the Lysa Peter engagement. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I was I was just gonna say that I never tire of this scene because uh I before this podcast I rewatched it a couple of times and you can just study every actor's face. Oh yeah. And it amuses you all the time. Right? Have you guys yeah. um seen the YouTube video someone did of this scene? Um it's called Tywin Lannister's Dinner Party and it's basically just um a version of this scene with no talking, um, so that everyone's kinda just staring like awkwardly at each other. Um, and there's then some footage of another scene that's spliced in where they've added Joffrey in and he comes in grinning and he and Tywin have this angry stare off. If you haven't seen it, you should really check it out. It sounds story. good. <laughs> it's great. It's great. Okay. Um, ready to go on to the next bit? Yeah. All right. Okay. So, um, the next one is, um, we see Bolton's men singing as they ride through the forest. Um, Behind them is a bound Jamie and Brienne. Um, the uh, Jamie and Brienne bicker beautifully in this scene. Brienne taunts him. Um, you know, she wasn't exactly impressed with his swordsmanship. Jamie, in turn, tells her, "Oh yeah, well you're gonna get raped." He and then he did, tells her, "You know, try not to put up a fight." Brienne asks him what he would do if he were a woman, and he said, "Make them kill me." And he also adds that bit in, "But I'm not." Thank the gods. Guys, can you believe that the show stole the podcast theme song? <laughs> Those bastards. Can you believe that Ruth Bolton apparently chooses his troops based upon their abilities to harmonize? <laughs> right, because um, I, he I seem, seem like the kind of guy that would do that. <laughs> I assume that you guys are aware, but just for any listeners who may not be, um, the lead singer of Snow Patrol um, is actually in this scene. He's, uh, he's the guy leading the singing. He had a cameo as one of Bolton's men. <laughs> yeah, I did. I do remember that tidbit. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I just this um, is just a beautiful scene. I love. I love the setting of this scene too in the forest here. It's just gorgeous. It is, I, and I mean, come on, you can't do much better than Jamie and Brienne being tied together and bickering. I mean. It's I kept, a really good interpretation of the book scene, kind of. Sorry, go ahead, Lars. Oh, I can say, I kept watching them, and I kept thinking, like, I, I think physically they couldn't have done the, the face-to-face, because I was, like, watching them try to oh, yeah. If he had put her legs on top of his. <laughs> yeah, I see why yeah. they had to do it. Did they ever discuss that? About that? Yeah, uh, yeah, they talk about... Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, you go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say in the commentary, they talk about how... Um, it wasn't about them being tied back to back, but it was about how, uh, front to front, sorry, but it was about how they were actually on a real horse rather than a prop horse and getting them down was, was difficult, apparently. Oh my gosh, I need that footage. Yeah, me too. <laughs> me too. Sorry, Chiki, did you have something to say about an interview? You oh. got it. You got it? I got oh, okay. it. Okay. Um, <laughs> I was going to say that there are things that I really like about this scene and there are things that I, there's one particular thing that I don't love about this scene and I don't know what you guys think, but it really sounded like when they're bickering, it sounded like after Brian insults Jamie's fighting skills um, and he says, oh, well, you're going to get raped. It really sounded like a sort of a retali- retaliatory um, thing rather than a warning, which it seems more of in the books. Yeah. Um, which no, totally. Yeah, it just sounded a bit wrong to me. Like I can't 
really imagine Jamie doing that so much since he's so anti-rape in the book. Yeah, so, I mean, I realise like after he says it. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, I just said, yeah, it's almost like he, she hurt his feelings or something. Yeah. Then he, like, kind of yeah, snaps it was, at it her. It sounded like him biting back yeah. rather than, you know, giving her an, a genuine warning. It just... I don't, I don't know. know. You know, yeah. in the book, it always had a kind of a taunting tone to me too. Um, the first one, I think it. I think he starts out taunting, and then he realizes how serious it is, and then it kind of like on the show, and he he uh, backtracks a little bit and is like, back. "No, seriously, you're you're in trouble." Yeah, in the books, I don't know because I did just reread it um, like last night or the night before, and it, he is before he says it, he is thinking, you know. It, um, or I think he says to her, if, if you'd armed me, we wouldn't have been taken. Like, he is sort of angry in a way. Um, and then Brienne doesn't say anything in reply to that. Um, and then he thinks that she's brave. And then he says, you know, when we make camp for the night, you'll be raped. And it says he warned her. So, yeah, I don't know. I just didn't get quite the same sense in the show. In the show, it really did sound like it was just a... You know, he's taunting her with the fact that she's about to get raped. Um, in the books, I think it was maybe not so angry, I guess, in a way. I don't know. But you're right. I mean, obviously, he then follows up with uh, his tone changes a little bit in the show, and you can tell that he is genuinely concerned that if she fights them, they'll kill her. And yeah. yeah, that's actually she... very yeah. Jamie to... Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> go ahead. Should I go? Okay. Be like, yes. <laughs> yeah, I was going to... I was going to say that I agree with you, Um that it doesn't really fit in because I think the rest of the scene, it, it's really cute because it really shows Jamie's more vulnerable side and that he really cares about Brienne. And, you know, he's trying to warn her as he does in the books. Yeah. And trying yeah. to help her, you know. Yeah. I guess I don't think that he cares about her yet. I mean, they're literally minutes from when he was literally trying to kill her. Like, I know he's, he stepped in front of her and there's that instant where they're suddenly on the same team and I think they are on the same team but I do think there's a couple of things like it's totally for me it's very much within Jamie's character to when he's attacked he lashes out and that's Mm. kind of what I think he's doing and then the other thing is is I think like at this moment in the show if you told Jamie I'll release you right now but we'll keep Brienne he'd be like see ya (laughs) Yeah, there's not. I just don't think. I don't think that is. I agree with you. I think it is certainly within Jamie's characterization to lash out when he is provoked, and he, we see him do that with Brienne. But it's just the fact that it was with a rape threat that seemed quite out of character for Jamie, considering that his strong views on on women being raped. Um, you know the yeah, one. I don't line, know. Yeah, you know I don't the, know. I don't really think it's that out of character. It's fine with me. Yeah. Sorry, the one line, uh, the one line that really stood out to me that I never really paid attention to before was, um, when he says he would make them kill him. Um, and it kind of just went later on, like when we get to the scene at night when they're making camp, um, it kind of stuck with me. Like, I don't know, you can kind of see if, I know I'm moving ahead of myself, which I hate, but, uh, <laughs> I couldn't help but think of him thinking that that was the advice or what he said he would have done. And, how much that affects what he does later. So. That that kind of mirrors. Um, I don't. I think it's episode two, season one, uh, when he's speaking with Tyrion about Bran and how if he'd been a cripple, he wanted to die. And it sort of mirrors it in a way that you know, being raped cripples you for life. 
Yeah. 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 Oh, that's a cheerful note. Does anyone want to add oh, anything else? Okay. <laughs> All right. That's How are you feeling tonight? Yeah. <laughs> let's go on to the next one. Um, it's a scene with the Brotherhood. Um, Gendry seems to be getting on well. Arya is a bit surly about their situation. Uh, the Hound is loaded into a cart, uh, not too gently. Hot Pie gives Arya a lumpy wolf-shaped bread. Um, he tells her he's staying behind, and... Uh, they, they say goodbye. Hot pie! Sorry. <laughs> I knew you'd be someone, excited. Someone had to do it. <laughs> yes, I, again, like, this is another fantastic scene between, um, and I, is it Angai? Angai? I I'm say Angai, I don't know. <laughs> between Angai, like, pulling, like, the modern day cop on the hound. Oh. <laughs> with him oh, yeah. his head. <laughs> but who, who's Brett. the cop, bad cop? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I almost feel like Arya's bad cop. She's always bad cop. Yeah. Didn't you notice they gave the hound Jamie's uh, line to about archers and or his disdain? Oh yeah, actually, that's an interesting. Uh, that's an interesting uh, observation. Actually, it's like the hound almost has the same fighting code as Jamie. Like, because what does he say? Oh. He says to Angai that the bow is a coward's weapon, and he oh. likes to fight up close. But then, of course, he follows it with, "I like to see a man's face when I put the steel in him." <laughs> Oh, I swooned. swooned. (laughs) Man after my own heart. I'm sorry, but the bread wolf, like, I forgot that was in this episode. And then, this is a little fandom in-joke, but I I just think of there's a person in fandom that made a bread that into a male um, sexual organ. Oh, gosh. (laughs) Stop thinking about that. I kind of had forgotten about that. You know what's really funny about this scene? In the commentary, um, D&D say that um, apparently the guy who plays Hot Pie, I don't remember his name, but and when, uh, yeah, him, when uh, Arya is, you know, she's complimenting on the bread, he always wanted to say thank you in return. So they had to reshoot the scene all the time. Aww. But eventually he just, in the end, he, they, he couldn't stop opening his mouth. So they had to <laughs> digitally close it. Yeah, they actually use CGI because he, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's the bit where Arya, um, that Arya's actually riding away and she turns around and says, Oh, you know, it's really good. And yeah, as Daphne was saying, uh, the actor was, was saying thank you in every take. And they decided that that wasn't what they wanted to actually CGI. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I wonder how much that costs. <laughs> That's crazy. Actually, oh, like the, the part where Arya is saying goodbye always kind of strikes me when I watch this because it, she is so surly, as Lot said, and then at that little tiny moment, she's all of a sudden like this little girl again. Yeah. Like, just the tone of her voice is all of a sudden like a little girl, and it's just kind of heartbreaking. Like, she's oh, got that Because that's still in her, in her somewhere. Ugh. Yeah, I actually, yeah. I, I think it's a great little scene. I really like it. I, it's, it's, I love how these kids kind of start out as... <laughs> suspicious strangers, I guess, and then they grow to be almost like a little family. It forms my cold, Hot cold Pie. heart. Yeah. Hot Pie gets his happy ending. We shall miss or his delicious <laughs> <laughs> Oh, another little thing from the commentary. <laughs> it's so stupid, but I thought it was funny. Um, they had 12 different wolf-shaped loaves of bread to choose from for that scene. <laughs> they decided to go with this one because it made them laugh the most. So, good <laughs> choice. Good choice. Aww. Well, credit to Hawkeye. I couldn't bake a bed like that. Not me they either. Did, did pretty well. It did pretty well. 
Yeah. Hi. Hi. All right, let's go to River Run. Um, Catelyn and Brendan Tully talk about Hoster Tully a little bit. Uh, Catelyn sobs when she talks about Rob and Rickon. Um, Brendan tells her Rob believes they are alive and he needs her to be strong. Um, and then we go to a short scene with Talisa, who's tending to Tommen. No, it's actually the two Lannisters. Mm-hmm. Cousins, Martin, and Willem that have been taken hostage. Okay, I'm really embarrassed to say this, and it wasn't until my rewatch last night. Was it last night? Anyway, um, when I was watching with the commentary, that I realised that the actor who plays Martin Lannister is actually the same actor who plays Tom in <laughs> season four onwards. <laughs> and, um, yeah, I'm really perceptive that way. <laughs> <Those> <laughs> Lannisters look alike. Well, they do. Oh, but it's funny because like, in the commentary, it was either David or Dan was saying, oh, we liked uh, the guy that played Martin Lannister so much. We recast him in season four. And I'm like, shit, is that Tommen? <laughs> That's hilarious. It's just smart that way. Aw. <laughs> I'm sorry Charles Chapman. I'm sorry. Yeah. I mean, they're short scenes. They kind of are what they are. And it's really darkly lit. Like, I couldn't see him. <laughs> no excuses. No, no. Not taking it. <laughs> okay, let's go north. Uh, we have Mance and Toramon. Um, they're observing the remains of many dead horses. They are rain- arranged in a strange spiral formation. I have to stop here because I, um, in season Five, episode 10. Do you remember when Daenerys was with Drogon and you could see like all those bones around him? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. It kind of had that formation. Like, am I crazy? Am I reaching? You're saying dragons did it? I'm saying there's something going on in the north, guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, it, but it's, it's not the same thing in, uh, in the, well, in the first scene of the, of the pilot or first episode, you know, with the White Walker art. Yeah, but is it White Walkers? Yeah. I'm saying it might it be just, something it else. No, is it, is it? I think it's sort of like a weird circle with like a line in it, or something. Okay, so I'm I want to know if it means something. I want to like, what does it mean? Theories, theories. <laughs> I don't know why they did this. I mean, this is a this is a show invention, and no one's ever really been sure why they do it, other than that maybe it was to indicate that the. The other, or sorry, the White Walkers on the show are intelligent, intelligent. beings, maybe. Yeah, that's, yeah that's, that's been theorized that maybe that's why the show has done this, or they just thought it was fun, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> they just had nothing better to do that day, so they thought they'd create some art with dead horse heads. I guess, I, I guess. I mean, you know, whatever they do, it works. I mean, this is one of the places where they lay groundwork that, that really pays off in spades later on and so I, you know I, I think it was a good idea it's a good it's a good thing to attach this sort of visual thing it's, to um yeah it's creepy as, it's creepy as fuck too like it know. is creepy it's yeah. actually a really good little scene it's you kind of it's john i think realizing the extent of like <laughs> just what the 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 bad shit that's maybe going down like and he's kind of stuck in this situation where He's in a hostile environment, and he's not with his brothers, and he's kind of all alone. Um, it's yeah, kind of like uh, highlighting his isolation in a way. Yeah, and he's also he also makes note too that the um, it's only the horses that are in that spiral shape. There's no no men. Um, yeah. And then Mance tells Tormund to climb the wall and take Castle Black. His signal will be the biggest fire the North has ever seen. Um, the remaining night. Oh God. Are- <laughs> 
<laughs> you don't like that bit? <laughs> well, just knowing what's going what to happen. Oh, okay. Yeah, <laughs> mm. uh, see, so the remaining Night's Watch make it back to Castle Black. Um, Craster reluctantly lets them... What am I talking? No, I'm totally... Craster's just cape. Press yeah, escape. not Castle Black. I'm like reading this. I'm like, no, that's not right. No. So the remaining Night's Watch make it back to Craster's Keep. Uh, Craster reluctantly lets them in and proves to be the most irritating host ever. Uh, Gilly can be heard <laughs> screaming in pain in the background. Craster is annoyed by her sounds of labor. Uh, he's having a bit of fun with Sam and so much so that Sam leaves and takes a peek at Gilly's child being born. And it's a boy. But not a good Uh-oh. thing. Yeah, not a good thing. First time oh, Sam so from Gilly's this. vagina. Oh god! <laughs> <laughs> you know, he was kind of looking from the side because I was watching that scene and I'm like, Jesus, Sam! Like maybe you shouldn't be a peeping tom at this Isn't point. Isn't that weird? <laughs> it's not, that is a little weird, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's, he sees what's happening and he doesn't move away. He just stands there staring, watching the show. That's a bit creepy. Yeah, I, I wouldn't be very flirt. comfortable. He's probably standing there thinking, I wonder where babies come from. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. We're going to move on from that to Theon. Um, He's being freed by Ramsay. Ramsay, in quotes, um, who's giving him water. He takes him out of the prison, puts him on a horse, and he's told to ride east. Theon promises him, uh, promising, promises him his savior. Oh my god, I'm a mess. Theon promises him a lordship for saving him. There. Did it. Yay! <laughs> I knew you could. Best episode you. ever. <laughs> Where am I? Oh. Okay. Short scene, not much to discuss there. Uh, let's see. Stannis. Uh, he's worried that Melisandre is abandoning him. Uh, she reassures him that she would not do that until season five. No, she oh, says she <laughs> she would never abandon him. Uh, Stannis, yes! Yes! <laughs> BS. Stannis had a taste of the blood magic and wants another shadow baby to make Joffrey and Rob dead. Mel tells him that it would kill him. She also tells him there is another way. So, did anyone else get uh, a little hot and bothered when Stannis grabbed Mel and whispered that he wanted her in his ear? I, um... It's like peak no. Stannis, I oh, have God. I mean, I know comedy. <laughs> I hate Stannis in this scene. I hate it. Oh, he's so oh, hot, he's such, a, he's such a horny little teen in it. Oh, God, uh, I'm so into it. <laughs> so not Stannis. Oh. <laughs> Actually, Chicky, I look. I do tend to agree with you. And you know what's interesting is when you listen to David and Dan talk about this scene, uh, they make mention of the fact that uh, some actors come in and they play their part just as the writers had envisaged, and that's great. And then you've got some actors like Stephen Delane who come in and take their characters in completely different directions, which they thought was more interesting. Oh, <laughs> I was just feeling really? that. And it's so... It's so bizarre because, I mean, I feel like Stephen Delane literally is Stannis Baratheon. So yeah. it's sort of bizarre yeah. that by taking it his own direction, he was less Stannis. He made it less Stannis, that's for sure. Mm. Although I don't blame Stephen Delane entirely. I mean, no, this I, is this no, not at all. The script, yeah. I, I mean, it's just more of the the same misread of Stannis to me. I mean, it's just you know him 
begging Melisandre for help and all, or, you know, whatever this is for sex or whatever. It's just not. Just kind of whiny and desperate and gropey. Yeah. Yeah. Let's just say I'm, I'm grinding my teeth just like Stannis over this. <laughs> but, you know, he's without, he's without Davis at this point too. So he is a little bit more vulnerable. <laughs> so he needs to rely on Mel's sinks. Is that what you're saying? He needs his Jiminy Cricket. No, I'm just saying he doesn't know where else to turn. Yeah, I'm kidding. I agree. <laughs> yeah, let's 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 explain it away. Let me that. That'll do. <laughs> I'm sure everything will work out just fine for Stannis. I'm right, feeling right. about this guy. Okay. <laughs> he seems like a stand-up guy who would never burn his child. Uh, oh God. <laughs> We're going on to Astapor, uh, where Dan- uh, Daenerys attempts to give a punished slave water. Um, Barristan wants to leave. He wants to get soldiers in Pentos and Mir. Jorah tells um, some hard truths about war. He tells her the unsullied will not rape and will only kill who she tells them to. Um, Barristan speaks well of Rhaegar. Uh, Danny tells him he was not the last dragon. Um, she goes shopping for some... Um, for some slaves, <laughs> wants to buy all the unsullied from. Oh God, this name, Krasnis Monak. Well, just call it. Just call him Krazy. 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 Resnak, isn't it? Resnak. I'm like reading this. I'm like, what have I done with my life? Anyway, he insults her in Valerian while Miss Sandy translates. Um, and she tells him that there are 8,000 8, unsullied, and is this what you mean by all? Danny tells them she wants the untrained ones, too. Kazi is rolling his eyes, <laughs> knowing she can't afford it. Danny offers a dragon, and Barrison and Jorah immediately object. Uh, Krazy wants the biggest one, and Danny agrees, but wants Miss Andy as well. Once out of hearing, Danny tears into both Jorah and Barristan for questioning her judgment publicly. Um, Danny asks Miss Sandy if the unsullied are as good as they say, and Miss Sandy tells her they will obey her. She asks her, what about you? And we get the Valor Margolis. All men must die, but we are not men. Okay. I love how the answer is, no, the unsullied are not as good as they say they are. <laughs> well, didn't we be just discussing this, like, the other, in one of the other episodes? <laughs> they, they trade on hype. It's just okay, so, we got a little, like, maybe a little flushed over the Jorah doing the Rhaegar died. Rhaegar fought nobly. Rhaegar uh, fought valiantly with his hips swinging. Like, oh yeah! <laughs> Again, is this peak Jorah as well, Guile? And it's and peak Jorah. Season and three. peak Rob. Season three is peak for a lot of things. I think. I think yeah. they really did peak in season yeah. three. They um, loved that line. That line oh, was like in the trailers for the season. For, oh, was it? Season. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they they loved that line. They knew they wanted I, to it right from season one. Yeah. I thought it was kind of out of the blue because they haven't really mentioned Rhaegar that much before on the show. And then, you know, it's like season five and they start talking about the tourney of Harrenhal. You're like, oh, okay. Yeah, I think they tried to sprinkle sort of little like, and bits. bits of Rhaegar throughout. But yeah, I think you're right. I think for the, the casual viewer who haven't, hasn't read the book, it... Yeah, may have been a little bit jarring, maybe, to hear about Rhaegar. Casual viewer wasn't even thinking about that. All they were thinking about was how hot Jorah was. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's that's pretty much what I think about when I'm rewatching these episodes. So actually, no, I I really like this sequence with Danny. Just, uh, <laughs> I've got to say, I think um, 
you know, it's it's kind of cliche in a way. Um, but I like well, how that's Stephen Hillenbrand though, who plays Krasny's. I mean, he is just having yeah. the time of his life. Yeah, I love watching this dude. Yeah. yeah. He was yeah, great. Also, I, I, I enjoyed the acting for the most part in these scenes. I think um, they all did a relatively good job. I've got to say when Danny and Miss Sande are talking between themselves and they're doing that long walk, I thought the acting there was a little bit iffy in certain places. Um, it sounded a little bit like they were giving speeches to each other. But, you know, I, I do like what happened here. I like that they kind of had this classic misogynistic kind of setup with Danny with Krasnus, you know, throwing uh, slurs about her being a woman and then Danny obviously, is, as we know, is understanding what he's saying and she's kind of biding her time. And then um, you've got Jorah and Barristan trying to tell Danny what she shouldn't be doing and then she kind of turns back on them and says, you know, don't you dare tell me what to do, blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, here's this little girl who's been controlled by men all her life and she's kind of finally taking a little bit of uh, charge of, of what's going on. So I liked that. Okay, okay. To play devil's advocate with that last bit, this has always bugged me because it's like, <laughs> Danny, you're 15. And you are, like, verbally making a really stupid deal. And it's like, you have advisors for exactly this reason to be like, oh, no, wait, maybe you should think twice about that. So it's like, either, you know, tell them beforehand that you're going to go in and do something crazy or... She needed them to act appropriately surprised. Like, she should have, they should have been like, oh, um, Danny, I think we need to go over here for a second. That's right. I mean, Did that's you more, see that? you know, that's more yeah. what she's rating them for. It's actually pulling her up in, in front of Krasnus. Yeah. So. I, I, I don't, I mean, it's like she's making the deal though. They were trying to stop her before she made the deal. Like you could see that they were, I, I don't know. To me, this always bugged me a little bit. It was like, no, this is not the way to make this point because in fact, from the outside, this is a really stupid move that she's making. <laughs> so yeah, maybe, like, you maybe she didn't. To be like, wait a minute. Maybe she didn't trust their acting skills if she had let them in the loop beforehand. So she was like, <laughs> kept them out purposely oh, for realistic reactions. She, she saw Jorah in a play once and it just wasn't good. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe she's learning from the Rob Sharp School of Leadership. Uh, and that's exactly what it is, actually. The two 15-year-olds running around not telling anyone what they're doing and they're not 15 in the show and I think, you know, we're in season 3 now it is kind of time for Danny to take charge a little bit and that's not to say that she shouldn't be listening to her advisors but, you know, sometimes leaders have got to go out and make tough decisions on their own and do their own thing. So, yeah, I, I, I liked it. I didn't have a big issue with it. I hate it. I hate this scene. I hate everything <laughs> about that part. What about Cassie? I, I have to say, He's I great. love it. I, ha- I love it when they shoot outside because you can actually see what's going on. Yeah, that's true. It was it's great scenery as well. Yeah, yeah. Even that beautiful. whole setting of being almost shot in like Morocco, in a pit. right? Was it? Yeah, yeah, this is on location. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's gorgeous. Yeah, it is. The funny thing in the commentary was about how the the end of the scene with Danny and Miss oh, Danny yeah. when they're walking, they had too much dialogue for the length of space they had to walk, so they just shoot them going past the same spot over and over again. Yeah, I think they ended up <laughs> looping some of the walk, is what they said. Yeah. At first, they had them speaking really fast. They said, and then they, <laughs> they realized that the background um, for the walk is just them passing, you know, unsullied who are. Who had their face covered so they could just loop the same thing that's over and over again? Hilarious! Wow, that's a good tidbit. Okay, the uh, magic of television. Oh yeah. <laughs> let's go back to King's Landing. Uh, we have Tyrion. Um, he's collecting the ledger books from Littlefinger's brothel. 
Uh, I talk a bit about Podrick, Ross, and Cersei. Tyrion asks for advice about his new job, and we get the keep a low profile, har har. Um, on their way out, Tyrion informs Podrick he'll be rewarding him with a bevy of whores, and I'm fast-forwarding. <laughs> Um, this was your favorite scene. No, I hate this. this is like one of the, I think this is. It my, must have been their favorite scene because you realize they bring back one of these girls from this brothel scene. Ugh. Yeah, isn't for, she the one for that Joffrey's wedding? Enough. Yeah, the contortionist. Oh really? Yeah. Oh, and yeah. I thought I thought the second girl is the one that ends up with Oberyn and Alaria. I think they bring back two of the girls. Maybe, maybe. Yeah, it's, clearly right. I don't mind the idea of, like, you know, Pod having a little jokey sex scene, but on the rewatch, like, this was a really friggin' long scene. It wasn't oh, yeah. just long, no it, was, it was so <laughs> completely gratuitous what they had those women doing. This, I, this is probably one I of the it, worst hated, hated scenes. It. I hate it. This is, like, the one scene I probably hate the most in Game of Thrones ever. Ever. I hate this scene. Like, it would have been fun just to have, like, Roz kind of teasing him a little bit, because I think that's kind of cute, and I like Roz, and I like Pod. Like, okay, that's fun, you know? Yeah, I was totally okay with the... I was totally okay with the the prelude to this part, where um, there was Roz and Pod, and he was kind of looking at her boobs, and I was okay with that. That would have been fine. Yeah, I was okay with that, too. (laughs) Leave it on. Yeah, Yeah. I thought that was cute, too, but... Well, she was having fun with it. Yeah, that was was more fun, yeah. Yeah. And she was dressed. Yes. She was dressed not doing, not doing gymnastics. <laughs> not doing gymnastics. Yeah. In a she was kind of flaunting her new position, too. You know, she's wearing a robe. She's kind of like the number two, you know. So it's kind of like, in, not empowering, because I don't, I don't really mean that, but it's yeah. just sort of showing, like, her new her new situation. Like, she's moving up in the world as well, and she's kind of, I think that's why she's having fun with them, because she can. Yeah, I know what you mean, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I'll just quickly go through the rest of it. Um, back in Tyrion's quarters, he's looking through the books and he learns that Littlefinger has been borrowing or has borrowed millions from Tywin and the Iron Bank of Bravos. Um, Tyrion is more worried about that debt than his father's. Um, uh, Podrick returns a man <laughs> with all the gold Tyrion had given him from the whores. Bronn and Tyrion want details, and this is even worse. This is so campy and lame. Like, this is the lamest this thing This is ever. actually the worst. It's it the worst, worst because it's this is such a male fantasy. Yeah. yeah. concept of the whores would let me pay them is such a gross male fantasy that I just want to punch someone it's, in the face. You know, what you've got to realize is that prostitutes are doing a job. Like, their entire purpose is to have sex for money. So, basically, what they're saying is... Oh, well, you know, that's not really what's happening here. They're just here solely to cater to men. And if the men are really good at sex, well, then they're not going to make them pay because they loved it. They love doing what they're doing. It it made such little sense. Like, my brain was actually trying to figure out, okay, what's really going on here? What did Podrick do? Like, not not sexually wise, but, like, did he, like, say something to them to make them give them back the gold? Like, it just makes absolutely no sense. That's my, yeah, that's my headcanon. That's yeah, it never happens. It doesn't because it, it doesn't really make sense. I mean, he's—I don't know how old how old he's supposed to be in the show, but he's around. I'm guessing like 15 or something. And he's a virgin, and you know, these prostitutes—they probably have sex with a lot of men before. So I, it doesn't really make sense. Like, how is he supposed to be so good? Yeah, and what 15 year old has not that ability? Want to get paid? <laughs> Yeah, none of it makes sense. Well, I mean, we know why. Yeah. <laughs> we know why. You know, 
it's like hiring a painter. And then he's like, oh, I love the color you chose. I'm not, I don't want the money. Keep it. It's, it's such a good thing that I'm just going to pay that's like the yeah. <laughs> That's a really good. <laughs> uh, okay, let's move on from that gross scene. Okay, Theon, he is... Oh, right on to another gross scene. Anyway, Theon is riding <laughs> when an arrow is shot at him and four men charge over the hill, chasing him down. Theon makes it into the woods and is knocked off his horse. The men beat him and then threaten him with rape. All of the attackers are shot with arrows by Ramsay. Um, one manages an insult before being killed, calling him a, a bastard. Uh, Theon would be savior picks him up. Yeah, so look, this is why you never that- trust Ramsay Bolton right here. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was totally on board with him up until this point. <laughs> I, I just wanted to riff off a little thing that Chicky said, um, was it last week or the week before? How it really is a really good introduction for Ramsay in a way because um, obviously in the books it's uh, the context is different he's actually at Winterfell um, so he's introduced a little bit earlier but yeah it's kind of such a classic audience misdirect for the non-book reading audience you know you're thinking oh this guy's cool you know he's helping Theon escape and then <laughs> nope <laughs> I mean this is next episode but yeah the whole the whole way that this sequence of events plays out um, it is a cool little bit of writing, I thought, with the with the misdirect. You know, Theon's escaping. Oh no, the soldiers found him. Oh wait, no, he's saved by this dude. And then next episode, maybe not so much. I don't know. It kind of sets the scene for all the twisted mind games yeah. that are going to be coming up. Definitely. Yep. Okay. Um... You know, one of the worst things about being in fandom with this episode was the fact that there was uh, so much kind of. Um, ruckus about this scene where Theon is, you know, nearly I, I wouldn't even say he's nearly yeah. raped. They're they're kind of suggesting that it may happen and it's so many people in fandom who are like, oh my god, that's amazing. It's like in the same episode, Brienne is dragged away into the woods and like very nearly gang raped and it's no like biggie, the right? outcry about the Theon thing was so much bigger than the outcry about the Brienne thing. It was really Irritating. difficult and a really oh. good a really good example of the difference between um, male sexual violence and female sexual violence in media. It, it was really a prime example of that. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, I think it's partially because we're just so, we, I mean, whoever were, were was making a ruckus about it, it's just so desensitized to female sexual violence that for them it was no big deal. But obviously we don't really right. see a lot of, of male rapes on TV. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say that I actually have a problem with that. Um, when I watched this scene, because I, for me, I thought it was, because he was, what, untying his breeches or something, so I mm-hmm. thought he was actually going to, but then they have a Ramsey come in and, you know, be the savior and save him. And, and I thought it was kind of weird how having a female being raped is okay and it's normal and they have like a backdrop in, in the scene, but, you know, they have to stop right before Theon gets raped. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, that's why I think a lot of us are, being so vocal about what's been happening in Game of Thrones in terms of them showcasing female sexual violence because it really plays into what is rape culture. I mean, we what, what's happening by seeing this over and over again in the media is it really is desensitising people to the issues. Um, and that's why I think 
all of us have been so outspoken in relation to, especially what was happening in season five in relation to Sansa um, and all the other sort of bits of gratuitous sexual violence that really didn't need to be in the show to make a particular point. Yeah, and we always will be vocal, so there. Okay. <laughs> uh, Brienne and Jamie um, are now tied to trees. It's nighttime, and Locke tells his men he'll take Brienne first, then they can finish her off. Brienne throws uh, her name around a little bit, throws Catelyn's name around, and it does her no good. Locke says he was um, only ordered to take the King's Slayer alive, and he says, Nobody said shit about you. Um, Bran starts headbutting the little shits who are pulling her up from the ground. As they drag her away, she starts screaming. Oh, God. These, I have always been a huge fan of the way Gwendolyn played this part, because those screams are so fucking primal and raw. Right? Yeah. Yeah. It's really, really difficult to watch this scene. Sorry, Lot, I don't know if you, you probably want to finish recapping. Yeah, okay, I'll keep going. Um, Jamie asks uh, Locke, yeah, you know who she is, don't you? And he says, some big dumb bitch from who cares where, which is a great line. I'm sorry, I know I'm in the middle of all this, but Jamie tells Locke I about... I love that you lo- love Locke so much. <laughs> no, I'm sorry, I'm like, <laughs> so cheerful. Uh, Jamie... Jamie tells Locke about Tarth and the sapphires he could get as reward, only if she's alive and her honor unbesmirched. Um... It works. Locke orders Brienne back. Jamie and Locke speak while Brienne looks on. Jamie tells Locke the North can't win the war and fighting for the winning side would be much more rewarding. Jamie asks to be unchained. Locke orders it. And Brienne and Jamie have this exchange of looks. Locke offers Jamie a partridge, asks for the bird and a carving knife. They get to a tree stump. Jamie is kicked and held down and Locke takes Jamie's sword hand. Jamie screams. It's a big scene. Yeah, it is a big scene. Um, you know what I'm a little bit sad about, and Chikia, you probably agree with me, is that they didn't really go deep into that whole conversation that Jamie and Brienne have in the books about going away inside and how Jamie is, you know, trying to comfort Brienne. He's essentially bearing his soul to try and comfort her, telling her um, his own coping mechanism for dealing with all the shit that's happened to him in his life, all the stuff that he's seen. Um, and they kind of just, in the show, boiled it down to, you know, oh, just close your eyes and think of friendly. It'll be over soon enough. What does it matter? <laughs> so I would have, I think, maybe preferred, I don't know, if they got a little bit more in in depth with that sort of conversation that they were having. What an, I don't know. What do you think? Um, you know, it's interesting. I have often wondered if they intended to move as quickly through the Jamie and Brienne storyline as they did in season three. I mean, we know for a fact that like the bear pit was originally written for at least episode eight, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there might've been a chance that they, they did intend to draw this out a little bit more. I mean, I assume there wasn't a cut scene or we'd have seen it, but yeah. Um, yeah, no, there, there is a rush here and I'm, I mean, it was a full season. They, they may have felt like they needed to do that. There, and the other thing about season three is, um, as much as I love Gwen and, and, and how she does in it, they really don't write to showcase Gwen in season three. I mean, Brienne is very much a part of Jamie's story as opposed mm-hmm. to being like a fully fledged character in her own right. You know, I don't think we ever see a scene really from her POV. Yeah, you're right. Um, do we? 
Is there one that I'm uh, forgetting? No, not that I can no. think of. Although, do you think that it's more reflective of the fact that they're adapting a Storm of Swords and that is, there are no Brienne point of view chapters in there. So I realise that obviously I mean, with a visual medium, um, with television, they could have done that. And it's funny, I, I did always, I did wonder whether, I'm just trying to think in season four, did we have that? Well, we didn't have a lot of, Hmm. No, well, like, when they're together, well, when they're together, we did have some Brienne point of view, but yeah, then they're separate yeah. and obviously Brienne goes off on her own story. But you're right, I think before that, we didn't really get a lot from Brienne's perspective. Yeah, and, and, and you know, they're not limited to the books the way that Storm is. No, well, that's right. To me, I, I, I never really was clear on it, and it's part of the reason why I thought they wouldn't do Brienne's full feast storyline is just the fact that she was such a secondary player to Jamie in season three. So I think that probably plays into why we didn't see things like that. Those, those sorts mm. of moments. I mean, this is very yeah, Jamie focused, this entire scene. And I, I think like, you know, the one scene that you wouldn't have minded seeing from Brienne's perspective would have been what happened to her after Jamie left. But I think, yeah. you know, understandably they wanted to maintain oh, yeah. the surprise of, oh, yeah. of him coming back. Yeah. 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 So I, you know, and I, I think, you know, they kind of, after he, I can't remember if, you know, before he comes in when they, well, when they say goodbye, um, in that episode, you know, it's focused on her and he comes into the room and I can't remember if the scene ends with her alone or not, but I, I, I don't think that was necessarily from her, from her yeah, point of I view still though don't either. Really think that was her point of I view. Should, yeah. yeah, I think you're right. I don't think there was any, there were any Brienne point of view scenes in season three that I can recall. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. Yeah, it's interesting that you say that you – well, you mentioned the fact that it was rushed because it did feel a little bit rushed. And I think that kind of plays into what Gail was saying before about how um, Jamie didn't seem to be – they, you know, they had the sword fight and then Jamie's uh, – then Locke's men come up and Jamie steps in front of Brienne and from then it's kind of like they're a team. But then Gail was mentioning how he didn't really seem to – be as invested in Brienne um, after that point as much as he is in the books. Um, so I don't know. The, the pacing maybe was a little bit strange. Um, well, I suppose that they wanted that moment during this scene of, of Jamie having the struggle of, oh, am I going to save her or not? I think they kind of indicate, have Nikolai indicate that where he's kind of like leaning it back it's against like the tree sigh. going, oh, God, can I listen to this or am I going to have to do something basically? And that is kind of reflective of in the books because Jamie is all this time kind of thinking, oh, I'm not going to die for you, Wench, I'm not going to die for you. But then obviously he, he plays then- the hero. And then, too, that's why I think that whole line where he's like, I'd make them kill me. I can't help but think that he was thinking back to that line where she's putting up a fight and she's going to make mm-hmm. them kill her instead of being raped. So I think that's yeah. I don't know, that's why I'm thinking he's hearkening back to that. The other thing I, I love about this scene... That he's partly scene, responsible. Yeah. Yeah, I kind of got that sense. But the other thing I love about this scene, I, I know, and it's Locke, but um, the interplay between... <laughs> <laughs> No, hear me out, hear me out. The interplay between Locke and Jamie, um, like, there's these moments where Jamie is so unknowingly, um, insulting Locke, like, when he's mentioning, you know, you know what gemstones are, don't you? And he's like, using unbesmirched, uh, and he's like defining yeah. the word for him. And you can kind of just point. see Locke looking at him, like, I know what those mean, you asshole. Like, he's so oblivious to how arrogant he's being. I kind of love it. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's another that's thing. Another, they had this oh. kind of merch <laughs> yeah, thing this season. Uh, in season three, they were doing this whole thing of 
oh, kind of trying to show how the privileged people were so privileged and so unaware of their privilege. And they kind of wrapped Jamie's storyline into that using using that as the motivation for Locke to cut off Jamie's hand that Locke was so, you know, incensed about Jamie's incredible privilege and trading on his father's name. I mean, it's super annoying, but I feel like, I feel like the book alternative is really convoluted and would have been hard to explain. I mean, they could have picked something else. You know what? It kind of, for me, it takes away some of how brave Jamie is in the books because, you know, that's where the situation is just, it just seems so much more dire and, both Jamie and Brienne have been beaten and, and assaulted and Jamie gets the shit kicked out of him for screaming sapphires. But here, whilst logically you know it's dangerous for him to try and save Brienne, you know, it's as Chicky was saying, it's kind of presented as Jamie and, and Locke having this little chat where Jamie's insulting Locke and Locke just gets really offended and, and that's what's the, the um, precipitating factor for Jamie having his hand chopped off. Right. It, kind well, of I mean, lessens, it kind of lessens the impact of what Jamie is actually doing in the books, which is, you know, putting his life at risk. It doesn't but then really he jumps in a bear pit. <laughs> yeah, it happens <laughs> later. It happens later. <laughs> right. But here, I don't think yeah. it was really... He doesn't get his hand chopped off for saving Brienne. No, he, he doesn't. To... No, I know, I know, yeah. I know that. But it's like at this point in the book... What they have, what they're not presenting is the fact that Jamie is kind of constantly trying to save Brienne and they're, he's getting beaten up for it. <laughs> kind of, you know, it doesn't, doesn't, well, trans- it's taking away some thing, of, yeah, so my problem with it is that it just, it lessens Jamie's character to me because mm-hmm. Jamie doesn't blunder and lose his hand. That's not what happens. Jamie has no control over right. losing his hand. That's going to happen the minute that he's captured. You know, it's, yeah. it's not something he does. That causes they could have picked a different. Re- yeah, they could have picked a reason that exactly. had no cause. It was just senseless. But then you have to have Locke being a very different character. Well, I mean, in the book, it's basically uh, him saying, He's a "Oh, you know, we'll we'll have to send Ty- we'll send Tywin a message and then hand shop." So yes, it's going to happen anyway. But yeah, I, it takes. I think it just takes away, as Chucky was saying, from Jamie's courage. It makes him seem a little less brave and just really pretentious. <laughs> Which yeah, is, I think. I mean, uh, to be fair. Go ahead, Daphne. I think. Yeah, I think they changed it from books because um, I don't really believe that uh, David and Dan understand Jamie and Brienne's relationship. Uh, I think they like a lot of readers. Sadly, don't really see that you know this sort of hate actually is love in a way. Um, so I think. When they read that part in the book, they're like, oh, well, it doesn't have to, we can change it in a way, and um, it takes away. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that actually um, segues nicely into one of the questions we received. Um, Whitey, did you have those? Yeah, I do. It's actually... um Good, good, good point to get to actually. Um, so we got a question from, uh, Crystal Rose 29 on Tumblr and she says, uh, hey my girls, did you see Gwen at Comic Con talking about how Brienne and Jamie have a friendship based on mutual respect that was non-sexual in nature? <laughs> she, she then says, I cried a little for you. Love, <laughs> love your one and only Danny fan. I'm like, isn't Guy all like a, one of, like one of our Danny fans. <laughs> you can find it out for the title. Um, so I thought before we start discussing it, I should probably read the direct quote from Gwen. 
um, oh, this was uh, taken from a gift set um, on Tumblr. I think Erin uh, made the gift set. Do you remember Chicky Brienne of Tarth on Maybe. Tumblr? Okay, well, anyway, thanks. I think we've had her on a couple times, yeah. (laughs) She's the other Australian. (laughs) The only other Australian. (laughs) The only other Australian in fandom. (laughs) Anyway, so um, the quote is what Gwen said. I found it very interesting when I read the books about the basis of that relationship. She's talking about Jamie and Brienne. About how in a mainstream TV show we got to see this very unique, very unconventional woman enduring abuse from a man. And then the power laying in the fact that that got turned on its head and the two developed a begrudging respect for each other that's intense and close and doesn't have its roots in sexuality. And I was thrilled to see that at last, uh, I was thrilled to see it at last, I thought it was a very powerful modern representation of women and long overdue. So that's what Gwen yeah. said. I don't know. I, 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 <laughs> I, I, I smell some... The show it has roots. And... Oh. You know, I, I think... <laughs> a charismatic- well, the problem, the problem with saying it doesn't have its roots in sexuality in the show is that there is undeniable sexual chemistry between Nikolai and Gwen in all these <laughs> scenes. <laughs> it's kind of, it's kind of contrary to what is actually on the screen to say it. Yeah, but- um, I, we've talked about this. I think she's parroting what she's been told by the yes. writers and, yeah. and the producers yeah. and directors. I'm serious backpedaling because I think they've both got in trouble for maybe, uh, I guess speaking too publicly about this relationship that's building. I don't know if that's the case. I mean, I feel like they really, they did kind of build it up a little bit in season three, didn't they? And then it seemed like both of them really pulled back um, in interviews, pulled back from the romantic aspect of it. I, (laughs) I would like to think that maybe what Gwen is trying to do here in some way, maybe, and this might be a, a more charitable reading from a Jamie and Brian ship, but anyway, um, is kind of emphasize uh, the fact that the relationship between Jamie and Brian is, is really strongly grounded in this mutual respect and trust. So, uh, you know, maybe she was trying to say, hey, look, there's more to just sex between Jamie and Brian. You know, it's, it's not a simple case of them wanting to just fuck each other. Like they also really like it at my, yeah. Each other. Well, Nikolai's basically said the same thing in the past, too, about how it's a good way to start a relationship. Yeah, look, I do think she could have phrased it a little bit more clearly, though, because (laughs) after she said it, I I made the mistake of getting onto Twitter. um, No, no way to know. I'm sorry. I saw a few tweets from uh, some of the anti-Jamie Brian shippers uh, who were (laughs) pretty much trying to use what Gwen said as some sort of conclusive proof that Jamie and Brienne uh, have a really platonic relationship, which which is hilarious because the funny thing about this is Gwen has so many quotes that are so much about the overt romance between Jamie and Brienne, including actually that they have fallen in love. (laughs) And the platonic love. No, but I mean, come on. I mean, it's to say that there is nothing sexual in nature between Jamie and Brienne is absolutely... But that's not what she's saying. She's saying it's not rooted in... No, I'm talking about the anti-Jamie. Oh, gotcha. Reading. That's crazy. That's crazy town anyway. (laughs) People having boners in bars and scrubbing harder and trying to think of Renly and checking each other out constantly. Like, it's sexual in nature. It's so sexual in nature. But getting back to what Daphne said, yeah, I think the problem is they just had a fundamental misread. I mean, we hear in the commentary that, well, you know, we haven't gotten there yet, 
yeah. to, for 305 where you have Cogman saying, you know, well, I just didn't think it fit in this scene, the boner and everything. It's yeah. like, in the books, it, it does fit because it's such well, a part of their relationship. how are they going to show it on TV, though? I mean, and Nikolai basically does act. He that. does. He looks he down. He doesn't need to show yeah. his actual dick, but they could indicate it, I think, probably a little better than they did. Like but, a towel? Like, <laughs> not that I would object to them showing his actual dick. I'm down for that. <laughs> really? <laughs> anyway, I'm like, look at you. Yeah, a little bit of the bubbles. I'm like, no. <laughs> I think... Yeah, I mean, that was such a weird thing to hear in the commentary. Who was it? It was Brian Cogman. Um, Cogman. Who was essentially saying, we didn't want to show Jamie getting a boner because it would ruin, you know, the purity of the scene. The pu- yeah, the <laughs> terms that they use oh, around God. Brianna. To be fair, in that, that is commentary, them. Nikolai is saying this. Nikolai was saying, like, he totally didn't agree. He totally didn't understand, like, the scene in the book, basically. <laughs> In the book. Like, how could he I don't have, think that's like, what he, he was like, how could he have a boner? Like, that... Did he say that? Kind of. Really? I don't think he said that. Yeah. No, I think <laughs> what he said was... Actually, it's funny, because Nikolai is the one who brought it up. So clearly, Nikolai is more than aware that there's a boner in the books. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and he wanted to address it. <laughs> it was Nikolai basically says that he agrees with the writer's decision not to have the boner. Well, how could um, you say that you disagree when you're doing a commentary? Yeah, what are you going to do? Like, what? these are your bosses. I do want to continue yeah, working. You know? I think the fact that Nikolai brought it up kind of gives a, a hint about what Nikolai thought yeah, about I mean, it. But... It's on his mind. I mean, if he didn't yeah. <laughs> to be in the show, then they wouldn't have discussed it at all. So, <laughs> yeah. I mean, <laughs> but yeah. Saying that yeah. it would take away from the purity of Jamie and Brienne's relationship. Yeah. If you had read any of Jamie's point of views in A Storm of Sword, you would know that he is <laughs> constantly thinking about Brienne in a sexual way. Like, it's absolutely ridiculous that you would class it as a pure... I mean, what is even a pure relationship? I hate that term. I have no fucking idea. Yeah, I hate that term. And, and it does get used. Yeah. I haven't heard it as much around the Brienne character, but especially season three and season four stuff, you were hearing that term used. So it just makes me cringe every time I hear it. You know, it's just like, ah, oh, shut up. <laughs> I think you, I think it might be that um, that she's so shy, Brienne, that they they immediately think like she's a virginal creature. You know, she can't ever have sex, and they just uh, it makes it impossible for them to picture it. I don't know. I don't even know. I don't know what they're thinking. Yeah. Oh well. Black. We have All I know is, right? I mean, there's oh. no bigger there's no bigger Jamie and Brienne shipper than Gwendolyn Christie. And it's absolutely, oh. she's absolutely a romantic shipper. So if anyone thinks that this is proof that, that, that she doesn't think that Jamie and Brianna's romantic, they're wrong. And that's, you are wrong. you're wrong. Get out. Yep. Get out. <laughs> I highly <laughs> doubt the people saying that are listening to this podcast. Right. But just they, out, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure they turned, they tuned out at the intro. <laughs> okay. We had some more questions. You want to do some of those? Yeah. Yeah. We do. Um, so there's one from that came in by email from Stupid Bunny, which is a Stupid great name. Bunny. Yeah. name we love. We love yeah. it. Uh, and she says on TowerOfTheHand.com, the community has voted on the top 50 characters of A Song of Ice and Fire. Jamie's name has yet to appear, and there are only three slots left. In 2010, prior to Dance, he was ranked number four, but now he's a lock for top three, with the only names being left are uh, Tyrion and Arya. Uh, this time, number four was John Snow, as pronounced by you, Gret. That's the <laughs> message. I didn't... 
<laughs> I just decided to do that. Sure call nine one one. Okay, I admit it. I always want to say it. <laughs> anyway, so the question is: uh, In honor of these exciting times, I must ask each of you, who is on your top five favorite characters list? All right, quick rounds. Flash mode. Uh, Chicky, you go. Give me your top Flash five. Flash mob. No, I can't do this. No, like, I, it's, not your, <laughs> it's not choosing your children. Oh, I'll go then. Okay. <laughs> number one, Brienne. Number two, Jamie. Number three, Cersei. Number four, Davos. Number five, Tyrion. Good. All right. Gal, what about you? Number one, Jamie. Number two, Theon. Number three, Davos. Number four, Brienne. Maybe number five, uh, uh, Probably John. Actually, not Dan. Number four, number four, John. Number five, Brienne. What? Oh, the what? What? Okay. Yeah, that's it. Gal can never come back to Bond. Get out. <laughs> you guys know I'm way more of a Jamie fan than Brienne. Yeah, but number yeah. five. Damn. All right, uh, Daphne. Yeah, Brienne first, then Jamie, Ober and Martell actually, and then hmm. uh, Leanna Stark and Davos. And Chicky. Oh, God damn it! I'm gonna make it. I'm gonna Jamie's number one. Like, there's no question that Jamie's number one. But it gets so dicey from there. Like, you don't need to rank them. Just give me your top five. Oh, okay, so Jamie's number one. Um, Arya and John are fighting for number two. Then Brienne is is four. And Jesus, <laughs> I hate these questions. I don't know. <laughs> Just say Melisandre. Let's go. <laughs> you bastards. Why are you doing this to me? No, it's, is it Stannis? No, it's Asha. It's Asha. Okay. All right. And mine, yeah. I, oh, I, I'm, I'm going to give you four and then I'm not sure. So oh. I'm going to give you Jamie, Brienne, John and Arya for my four. And then five is kind of a toss up between Davos, Asha, Theon, <laughs> maybe Cersei as a point of view character because she's so entertaining. I don't even know. <laughs> I kind of just wish she kept going. What a question, stupid buddy. How dare you? <laughs> well, if, anyone's, if anyone hasn't read the Tower of... They do an essay for each, um, as they reveal each one. And, you know, they vary. Some of them are better than others. Um, the, da- the Danny essay, she came in number seven, was fantastic. So if you are, like, one of the two or three Danny fans in fandom, um, check out <laughs> the essay about Danny, because it was awesome. Actually, the essay on, St- on Davos was really good, too. If you are the one Danny fan that listens to this podcast, feel free. So I should go read it again. <laughs> you know, I have to say, I was surprised that Jamie was actually moving up the count. Um, I'm not given, at all. Given the show depiction of Jamie, though, I was a little surprised. I, I was I'm, like, oh, oh wow. See, I think, I think that you probably are in the minority of, of your feelings. And I think, too, like, if you look at, I mean, the way I, because I've been following along, listening, reading the comments and everything, and everyone's comments are like, they sort of are implying, well, I really like Jamie, but I can't believe everyone else voted for Jamie. I'm so surprised to the point where now I almost think Jamie's going to be number one because everyone's voting for him, but just assuming everyone else is voting for Tyrion and Arya. Right. Hmm. So I mean, could be I a have shock. to say, you know, it's funny how often you'll see comments where it's like because they don't approve of Jamie as a human being, people can't quite rank him their number one POV to read. But a surprising number of people for whom he isn't the number one character will rank him as the number one POV to read. And I mean, I absolutely agree with this because I think Jamie is, by dance, the most entertaining POV in the books. 
I mean, like, oh, he's, he oh, yeah. far surpasses Tyrion for humor and everything. Oh, me, God. But, Tyrion is dead. Yeah. Tyrion is dead. Yeah. So dark. Could that be a good follow-up question sometime, is your top five POVs, and if that's different from your character? Well, that kind hey, of was. Like, that was my top five POVs. I've got to say. Oh, so that's not my top five POVs. No, I didn't do it that I way either. I actually add brand. Hmm. I love brand POV. Yeah. Oh, yeah. top five That's POV. why I had Davos as well. Hmm. Gives us an insight into Stannis. Not that I don't love Davos, you know, for himself. All right, um, should we do the, the last question really quickly a lot? Yeah, it wasn't this. This is Daphne's this is, question, This right? is from Daphne. I feel like I should get Daphne to, to ask us. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like she's starting to stir something up with this question. <laughs> All right, so the question from the lovely Daphne is... Amelia Clark got nominated for an Emmy. Thoughts? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's great. No. Cheeky, cheeky person. Um, you know, I I think it's undeserved. I don't think that she's anywhere near a standout nope. as an actor, not even in Game of Thrones. So, yeah, I don't think it's deserved. I don't know. Yeah. Amelia, she seems like genuinely I like... Think of the Emmys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. That's, that's the, all the proof you need, really. For the Emmys. I, I mean, I already thought this about the Emmys. I mean, they're always wrong. So I'm still bitter over the fact that Nicolai was never nominated for his work in season three. Well, mm-hmm. They very much like pick. I think they like watch a preview of a show, and that's how they determine the various nominations for a show. Um, so they saw something with Amelia Clark. They're aware that she's in the show and that she's hot. And therefore, they gave her a nomination. But yeah, like she has no basis. Also, visually, she visually yeah, she's visually recognizable. Well, they know she's one of the, the stars, stars of the show. Lead. Yeah, so I mean, they go with that. I'm less offended by. I mean, you know, I'm probably the most positive Amelia Clark person. I don't think she deserves an Emmy. Yeah. Um. Any which no. any which way I can think of, you know, I think Sophie Turner. I think that, um, Carrie Ingram, Carice Van Houten would all be deserving of that other slot if there was another person on Game of Thrones. I think, like, the fact that Ooh. Kit Harington didn't get nominated and Peter Dinklage did yeah. is kind of annoying to oh, me. Oh, that's just, I think no. it was yeah. Kit's season. I don't think Kit's very good either, so. The only nomination for the actors that I was happy <laughs> with, the only nomination with the actors I was happy with was Lena Headey. Lena, she, yeah. Uh, yeah. That was deserved. Team Lena, for sure. Although I don't even think her. this was her best season either. It wasn't, she but really I mean, out of... deserved it past... I agree, but I think out of the ones who were nominated, she's probably the only one that I would agree that deserves an well, Emmy for her acting. Well, get a nomination too for the for the guest actors. Oh so. right, yeah. She, oh, I mean, act- she had like one really good scene. So yeah, they just well, and, give her and, great and, and actually, though. actually, the visual effects uh, for the show were also nominated, but not for <laughs> Hardhome for um, a Dance with Dragons. Which was like the worst. And wasn't was Danny flying over with the dragon? Oh you know? yeah. yeah, wow. Yeah, and wasn't uh, oh god, um, five oh six nominated for was it directing? It sure I think was. Like six yeah, and wow. Nine. Yeah. Six and wow. nine, and not eight, which is just ridiculous. I mean, it's right? not even worth discussing. Yeah. I mean, like, but again, like they just, I swear to God, pick shit out of a hat. Oh, Game of Thrones, uh, they do. and it's random beyond that well, point. Well, isn't that the way that they pick most yep. nominations? That's what it seems yeah, like these days. I mean, That's... so I've been marathoning Silicon Valley the past few days, so I'm a little obsessed with oh, it yeah. at the moment. It was nominated for Best Comedy, but despite that it's apparently the best comedy, like, 
literally not a single actor on the show was nominated for anything, which just seems ridiculous to me, too. Hmm. And Constance Wu wasn't nominated, which is just a travesty, and I don't even want to discuss. So I think you yes. guys need to start Fuck a sister. They suck. A, yeah, stay tuned for our special episode of Silicon Valley. You guys need a sister <laughs> podcast, I think. <laughs> so now we've got Silicon Valley, we've got The Wire, so many new podcasts oh, coming up. <laughs> Uh, all right, well, that's it for uh, for the questions. Do you want me to go straight into thank yous, love? Yes, please. All right. Uh, so we got three um, plus a few different questions, which we will address. So if you haven't heard your question being discussed yet, we will get to it eventually, I promise. Uh, so the three uh, thank yous, they came in via email. Uh, <laughs> one's from Daphne. <laughs> Daphne did email us. <laughs> Daphne did email us to ask a specific question, which, which, uh, about the episode which I addressed. But, um, the other part was just, hey chickas, I just listened to your latest podcast and couldn't stop laughing. This is in reference to the, uh, um, the Cluster Palooza episode. <laughs> uh, oh. nobody makes me laugh like you girls Aww. do. Can't wait for your RPG episode, love Daphne. Oh, Daphne. Daphne. Aww. We love you. <laughs> Thank, you. <laughs> Thank you. Um, the next one is from, uh, Virginia, uh, and she says, <laughs> this is also in relation to the Cluster Palooza episode. One of the reasons I love this podcast is that all of you are so damn human. Thank you. Uh, thank thanks. you. Yeah. Thank <laughs> what does it mean? <laughs> I prefer to think of myself as a flawless unicorn. Uh, oh, God. Rainbow unicorn. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and then Stupid Bunny, who we, we... I just read the question that she sent in. Um, she also just said thank you for the podcast at the end of her mm-hmm. of her email. So thank you to everyone who enjoyed oh. that complete clusterfuck of an episode. Um, <laughs> I'm just happy ridiculous. we managed to like put pull something together at the very last minute. I love that we had so many messages for that too. That was oh, crazy. <laughs> I love it when we mess up. Yeah. The, so yeah, we the more we, we fuck up the better. Yeah. Okay, I, I can do that. Um, so if you'd like to send us a message, you can at uh, close the door and at gmail.com. Uh, you can reach us at close the door and come here.tumblr.com. Follow us on Twitter at door podcast, like and review us on iTunes, please. It's been ages since we've gotten anything there. Um, it's been 84 this- years. <laughs> support this podcast on Patreon at close the door forward slash patreon.com. You get eps earlier and um, those who are patrons now are going to be getting the RPG episode one when I post this episode. Ah. So you're getting that earlier. And hey, it we was... should probably say welcome to our new Patreon patrons too. Hi guys. Oh, yeah. Thank Hi, you. Guys. Welcome. You're in for a treat, I hope. No, actually it was a lot of fun. <laughs> that RPG episode was probably the most fun yes, I've had so in like a long God. damn time. So yeah. All I know is we were all super drunk, so <laughs> that's an indicator. <laughs> well, it was good. It was good. And like big thanks to Wonkins who kind of led us through that. It was he awesome. Was amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, and uh, well, that brings us to the end. So, thank you, everybody, and thank you, Daphne, for being a guest. Hope you'll Yay, come back. Thanks, yeah, yeah, Daphne is it. up at right. three o'clock in the morning, you guys. So, this yeah. was true dedication on yeah. her part. It's actually four o'clock now. Now it is. Oh, oh. <laughs> you're a trooper. It's time to go back to bed. Oh yeah, yeah. get to bed. See the sun rising. Oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, Daphne. The things she does for love. Aww. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Aww. 
All right. Have a good one, everybody. Thanks for Bye, podcasting. Everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.